So I was talking to a, uh, a senior law student. We were talking about truth. What is truth? And if you know anything about my story, you know that uh, I found Christ as a law student, and it transformed my life. And somebody uh, in our congregation who's an attorney said, so when you found Christ, you knew God couldn't call you to law, right? Um, well, I know that we have a lot of lawyers in our, in our congregation. I'm not really sure why you're all here, um, but we're glad you're here if you're on our side, amen? But I was talking to this, uh, this senior law student, and I asked him uh, uh, a question about truth, and he, he made this question to me. He said, why Jesus and not the other guys? Now, the other guys obviously have to do with people like Confucius, Muhammad, uh, Buddha, and some of the other world religious leaders. And what I want to do today as we talk about this series in Jesus is to address some of those issues and to tell you worldwide what's going on uh, in this arena of Jesus influencing people for the kingdom. Here's the first thought. All views cannot be true because all views are opposite. See, we live in a day where things are relative. What that means is, if it's right for you, it must be right. But it doesn't mean it's right for me. And what we do is we assume that there is no truth, that all truths are true and nothing really matters. And that's a relative uh, world that we live in. And the problem is that if Jesus is true, then nobody else can be true. Because Jesus made some very bold proclamations about who he was. The same thing can be said of other religious leaders. Here's the second thing. Truth is absolute and not subjective. For example, if we say the universe exists, is that true or is that relative? Well, we say it's here, it must be true. But what if I say no that's not true, it's just an illusion. We're really in a dream world. Hollywood has done some great things with making us believe that we live in, a, in an alter universe or we live within our imagination, within our dreams. But where do you draw the line in what is true and what is subjective? In other words, well, I, I think it's right, it must be right. Third thing is truth allows you to cooperate with reality. For example, in Hinduism, there is a teaching that there is another group of Hindi people that live on the other side of the sun. Now, that's not reality because the sun is really hot, right? And so it contradicts this reality. If I live apart from truth, I can't really relate to this world in the most healthy possible way. Now, here's what Jesus said when addressing this, this question of truth. Simply put, John 17 and verse 17, he said, your word is truth. The Bible is the truth, not just a truth. Now, you say, well, that sounds a little narrow-minded. How come we have the truth and other people don't have the truth? Well, there can't be multiple truths Otherwise, there is no truth at all. So one has to be right and all others wrong, or everybody's wrong. But not everybody can be right. It's just a basic philosophical, logical approach to life. 
Now, when you think about this subject, I want you to think about an Egyptian woman living in Cairo, mother of eight, true story. Every day she goes down to the market and she finds vegetables and she finds fresh bread and, and she hides a little money away like wives tend to do so she can buy some stuff, like some extra clothes, some jewelry, whatever she wants. And every day she goes down there and, and she's a good mother, she's a conscientious mother and, and she's a loving mother to her eight children. But this day, it was a little different. This woman, whose name is Noar, made her way into that market, and the night before, she had a dream that was alarming to her. It so shook her that she didn't really know how to relate to it. She didn't know what it meant, if it meant anything at all. But as she made her way through the market, she looked over and she saw someone that she remembered for her, from her dream. His name is Kamal. Kamal is a Christian who lives in Cairo, who makes it his aim to tell people about Jesus Christ. Kamal has had some amazing experiences while ministering and living there in Egypt, his home. And on this particular occasion, this market, which is very crowded and where pickpockets thrive on the newbie, as he made his way through, all of a sudden he heard a woman shout out at the top of her lungs, you're the one. Yes, you. Kamal tried to ignore what she said, knowing that it's culturally very dangerous even to speak with a Muslim woman in a public marketplace like that because her husband would probably take her life and maybe your life as well. So he tried to ignore that, that loud, but she said it again, and all of a sudden, it seemed like the market grew quiet. He looked around and wondered what the next step should be in this particular situation. Kamal went to her as he tried to talk to her, and she said, you were the one in my dream last night, and you were wearing those very clothes. Kamal had seen this before, how dreams and visions are coming to uh, Muslim people all over the Middle East. And so he paused for a moment, and he said, was I with Jesus? She said, yes, you were with Jesus, and he was with us. And I was walking side by side with him, and you were behind, and I didn't notice you for quite a while until he pointed you out. I was so enamored with his face and with his words that I didn't even know how to respond. And in her dream, she asked Jesus, why are you visiting me in my dream? And Jesus said to Noar, I love you, and I have given everything for you. I died for you. Kamal said, Jesus is touching Muslims all over the world. He is calling them to salvation. He is visiting them in dreams and in visions. One of the fastest growing churches in the world today is in Iran. It's an underground movement that God is birthing. As, as Camille began to talk to her more, he said, are you ready to follow this Jesus? Are you ready to die for this Jesus if need be? And Noor said, I am ready and I want to follow this Jesus. The story of conversion 
is happening all over the Middle East. Muslims are coming to faith in Christ. If we take a global picture and look at the population, our world is growing at about 1.2% every year. It won't take long before this world is, is going to hit 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 billion people on planet Earth, should the Lord tarry. Islam is growing at a rate of 1.9% per year. But 95% of those are coming through birth, not conversion. People who are born in a family and, and you become a Muslim or you die. Only about 4 to 5% are actually coming through conversion. And because the families are so large, it doesn't take long to accelerate that. But let me tell you what's, what news you don't hear about and what I believe is one of the great pieces of information. It is this, that right now worldwide, evangelical and traditional Christians are growing at a rate of 3.8% per year. Just about double what's happening in the world of Islam. There are great conversions that are happening around our world. But I believe that what's happening today uh, in this world is that the enemy, Satan, is using uh, Islamic terrorism to frighten us away from sharing the gospel because he knows the next great move is going to happen, is going to happen among Muslims, and he's trying to prevent the gospel from getting into their hearts. Enemy thinks that if we're afraid of Muslims, then he can short-circuit the movement of God. He can stop what God is up to, but that's not going to work. Let me give an example of another attack that the enemy brought many years ago on a continent in an area called China. We all know of communism coming in. We know of the exploits of, of Chairman Mao and how he made it illegal to practice religion and, and called that country to atheism. The headlines appeared just April 19th of this year in the British Telegraph newspaper and online version, and these were the headlines. China on course to become the world's most Christian nation in 15 years. That article went on to say that by 2030, Christians will exceed 247 million million by, in just a short 15 years. So strong is the movement of God in China. What we have to know and to look at is this, that Mao thought he could eliminate religion. But Mao failed completely. Jesus will not be hid. You can shut your mouth and not tell the story of Jesus, but before long you'll hear Jesus standing at the door of your heart knocking, say, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone open that door, I will come into them and I will sup with them and them with me. You can resist him, but he will be there all the same. You can reject him, but he will come because he is a God who pursues you. He is a God who loves you. He is a God who is making himself known worldwide. There is a new awareness of Jesus worldwide rising up all around this world. God is raising up intercessors who will pray who will pray, and as we pray, we break down the strategic and spiritual strongholds that exist around our world. Do you ever wonder why it's hard sometimes to speak the gospel in some places to some people? It's not because they're resistant. It's because the spiritual atmosphere is not conducive for the gospel. We have to pray that the conducive atmosphere into areas and into people's lives. We have to 
be able to move in such a way that we see God's hand work. There is strategic warfare that is shaking the heavens. And I believe God is raising up warriors for a kingdom, a kingdom assignment. I believe God's raising you up. You know, when the men gather and on Monday night for our men's Bible study, and we have close to 100 men who gather there on Monday nights, and they listen to the Word of God for up to two hours, they're not there because they're playing church. They're not there just to get a little lesson or four ways to get along that week as most churches are dispensing today. They're there to hear the word of God, to grow strong in the faith and the things of God. May God raise up men and warriors for the kingdom. Amen? Amen. In Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14, listen to what it says. For the earth will be filled. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We're praying that God will take us and use us in mighty ways. We're already praying about and talking to some, some people about what we can do to get the gospel into, into North Korea and into, into China and into Russia. And it's going to be some surprising things. And we'll tell you what we can about those as those days come. When Jesus burst on the scene, he was immediately heard by those who were looking for truth. Listen to what he said in John chapter 14 as we take our Bibles and turn there. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 6, the Word of God says this. Jesus said, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Does that sound like he was exclusive? It does to me. Does this sound like he was a little narrow-minded? It does to me. Have you ever noticed that we love narrow-mindedness uh, everywhere except religion? I have a mechanic and I go into my, take my car in and he repairs it and I needed, let's say, new brakes and I show up and he hands me a bill for $4,000 and I said, for brakes? He said, well, you know, you, you needed a muffler, and I thought I'd do a little, couple other things on there and kind of touch that up and got that all ready and changed the oil and rebuilt the transmission. I did all that stuff for you. I said, wait a minute, all I wanted was brakes. He said, don't be so narrow-minded. <laughs> I go into the doctor. Let's say I need to have a leg removed. I go in, and, and I, I need the right leg removed. All right? Well, I couldn't think of anything else. I don't know. I need the right leg removed. I go in there, he takes the left leg off. And I said, doctor, you know, you got the wrong leg. Don't be so narrow-minded. I got a leg. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Then we go into the realm of religion or Christianity and we say, no, wait a minute. To say that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that sounds kind of narrow-minded. Why don't we just have everybody be right? If everybody's right, then Jesus was a liar. That's what the gospel stands on. Look what else he said here as we go on in verse 7. If you, have, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Pause for a moment and think about what he just said. If you want to know God, the Father, God Almighty is in your presence. You have known him, you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient. I wish it had been another disciple and not Philip. It's kind of a dumb question. 
Jesus just said I'm him. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Jesus was teaching these disciples these great lessons about what it meant to have God in their presence, what it meant to relate to God, to know God. If you turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 17, there's another scripture where Jesus made it completely clear where he stood and what was important. He said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many that go by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few that find it. When you think about what Jesus said, Jesus was making a very strong statement here. He said the way of salvation is a narrow way, and most people aren't going to choose that way. They're going to say, I don't want that. I would rather have this or that. Let me tell you something. Christianity is not about religion. It's not about religion. Religion is about me trying to find a way to find God and to please God by doing something about being a good person. You know, I've often thought, and I've said it before, that a great sign to have out in front of a church would be one that said, sinners, welcome here. Precious saints, pious people, and super spiritual may not be comfortable. You see, the church was never designed to just preserve piety was never designed to be a country club. It was designed to be a place where the word of God was dispensed, where community was built, where prayers were offered, where souls were saved, where the word of God was exalted, where the spirit of God lived powerfully in the lives of its people. Amen? That's what the church is supposed to be. I want you to understand that only Jesus, only Jesus claimed to be God. If you study the life of Confucius, what you'll find is he called himself a wise teacher. If you study the life of Buddha, he said, I am a seeker after truth. In fact, Buddha said, I show you an eightfold path which I myself have not been able to achieve. Muhammad said, I am a prophet. Jesus said, I am God. Do you see the difference? You see the, the, the transformation in, in the philosophy and the ideologies that are coming forth? Jesus said, I'm God. When you pray, do you want to pray to a man or do you want to pray to God, a very God? When you trust, do you want to trust in God or do you want to trust in a good teacher, a seeker after truth, a prophet? The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, there is one mediator. That is one go-between, between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. When I go to God in prayer, when I seek after God, I know that he hears my prayers and God responds to me. The other thing we need to remember is only Jesus rose from the dead. You can visit the holy sites, the religious sites of other leaders. You can know where they died. But none of them claim to have risen from the dead. None of them claim to live forever, to return, to walk 
and to then to be verified in the world. You know, there's a, there's a thing you can do in, in historical documents. You take how many documents there are from history, how long they were, you find the number of errors in them, and you calculate the likelihood that that document is true. And this is just how they, how they rate and how they measure documents from, ancient, from the ancient world. And if I take that process and I apply it to Napoleon, for example, and I take everything Napoleon said about himself, every, everybody that everybody said about Napoleon, and then I take just going back a few hundred years, and I come up with a percentage, a likelihood, that there was a Napoleon who did what he said he did. There's only about a 56% chance there was a Napoleon who did what he said he did. And yet I believe that there was a Napoleon. If I do the same thing with George Washington, I believe George Washington was the father of our country. I believe he chopped down the cherry tree. I got quarters with his picture on it. I believe there was a George Washington. But if I do the same kind of documentation from history and I look at George Washington, I only come up with about a 76 to 78%, depending on how you measure it, likelihood there was a George Washington who lived and did what George said he did. If I take Jesus Christ, and now I don't go back a few hundred years, I go back 2,000 years, I apply the same process of documents from antiquity, and I put that, that all in the mix, and then I take not only the Bible, but I take also the enemies. I take what people like Philo and Josephus and others said about Jesus, and I put that in the mix, and I say, what's the likelihood there was a Jesus who did what he said he did, who died and rose from the dead, there rises to about 95% likelihood. Forget spiritual, this is just history. It is the greatest proven fact that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. Jesus Christ fulfilled Scripture. No other religion has prophecy that can be documented and tracked. You can't do it with Buddha. You can't do it with Confucius. You cannot do it with Muhammad. And yet Jesus Christ, more than 300 prophecies predicting his coming, his death, his rising, and his then return, many of which have already been fulfilled, prophetically fulfilled, thousands of years in the past. Only Jesus fulfilled Scripture as we look through the Word of God. Only Jesus said this, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. When you hold that truth, when you hold that belief, it is not a weapon to fight with. It is a truth to love with. I was sitting in my car getting ready to leave when a, a lady in our congregation approached me and said, would you be willing to pray for a 14-year-old Muslim boy that has a brain tumor? I told her it would have to be, she told the mother it would have to be in the name of Jesus. And she was going to check with her husband because she was excited about her boy being well. I said, absolutely I would. When you present Jesus, you have to present Jesus with the most love known to man. See, people, people resist when we're hard, and people resist when we're, we're, we, we think we're always right, but when we say, hey, I'm just going to tell you what I believe. I believe Jesus is the way, 
and the truth and the life, and nobody loves you like Jesus. And you befriend people of different faiths. You befriend people of different perspectives. And you stop forming little holy clubs where only the Christians get to go. And you start touching lives and you start ministering to people and you start helping people regardless. We have in our neighborhood two Buddhists, two Muslims, and one Christian family. And in that family, we, I want you to know that one of the Muslim families we're, we exchange Christmas gifts with. Now go figure that one out. We've been in their home. They've been in our home. They've ate meals at our house. We've shared with them, and we continue to love them. I don't know where God will lead that, but I know one thing. They will never say of us, we don't love you. They will never say of us, we don't care for you. And as opportunity comes to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we have to be about love. The greatest influence in the world is love. Remember what Jesus told us in, through the prophet, uh, through the uh, writer and, and apostle Paul. He said, everything else fails, but love never fails. It just never fails. You just keep loving, keep loving. You see, when people ask Jesus on the cross, how much do you love me? He said this much this much. I love you this much. In Acts chapter 4 verse 12, the Bible says this, nor is there salvation in any other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. See, the Bible keeps bringing us back to that truth. Is salvation important? Is it important to know God? Is it important to, to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life, is it important to, to know for certain when you face death or when you go through life that you've got a Savior? Indeed it is. The Bible says that in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, God demonstrates His great love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Think about that. When we were just separated from God, he said, I'm going to demonstrate my love to you. I'm going to die for you. And then Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, it says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, here's the promise. We will be saved. It's such a simple and yet revolutionary concept that God loves me and God reaches down through Jesus and saves me. If I confess with my mouth, I remember as a law student kneeling down. I thought God would hear me better if I knelt down and prayed. I didn't even know how to pray. God, can you hear me? I said, I believe the Bible I've been reading. I believe you died and you rose again to give me life. I trust you 
to save me. I don't know what happened in that moment. I didn't look different. I didn't feel a lot different. But I'll tell you one thing I knew. I knew somehow I was forgiven. Somehow I met God. And it would be over a period of time there would come the realization of that because I confessed with my mouth the Lord Jesus and I believed in my heart that God raised him from the dead and I received the promise, you will be saved. What a great truth. Let me give you a couple of life applications this morning. Here's the first one. Today, Today is a day of salvation for some of you. You know, Mother's Day is always a unique day. It's a day where moms kind of get everybody going, right? Come to church with me. That's what I want for Mother's Day. Fathers, totally different. Bunch of cowboys. Let's go to the beach. Let's get on the boat. Let's go drink a beer. I mean, that's really the Father's Day, right? So I'm just going to ask the moms to exercise a little bit of weight on the fathers for Father's Day coming up next month, right? For the kingdom. But here's the truth. Today is a day of salvation. Trust Jesus. If you haven't trusted Jesus, can I ask you to do that today? A simple prayer like I've prayed in faith is sufficient for the saving of one's soul. Secondly, follow your heart to the cross. You know, it's not about Church attendance, it's not about ritual. It's about looking to that cross and saying, Jesus, you died for me and you rose for me. To trust him in that way brings you a gift of eternal salvation. I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now as we pray. And as we pray, I just want us to just take a moment just to bow our heads and just talk to the God of the universe. Maybe your prayer would be something like this. You can repeat it in your own heart right where you stand or sit. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you were buried, that you rose from the dead, to give me the gift of eternal life. I want to trust you as my Savior, and I want to call you my Lord right now. You promised in your word that if I confess with my mouth, believed in my heart, that I would be saved. Save me right now, Lord Jesus. Right now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Give me that gift of eternal life. Right now, Lord. If that was your prayer, would you just thank God in your own words right now? Just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for answering my prayer. Thank you for hearing my words. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for writing my name in the book of life. If that was your prayer, I'm going to ask you to do something that may seem a little bold. I'm just going to ask you to look right here to me. Right here to me. If that was your prayer. 
God bless you, all of you who are lifting your eyes to me right now. God bless you, sir. Right here, just right here. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. This is your confession of faith. This is you saying to God, I believe, and I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. Those of you who lifted your eyes, I want to encourage you to follow Christ, to draw close to God. If you need help in in that journey, we want to be here for you. You may just be visiting and you're going to go back to your church, but I hope you'll go back as a new creature in Christ. That you'll have a pursuit of God that will just absolutely change the world around you. From the inside out, you're going to be a new person. For the rest of you who say, I'm already a Christian, I want to pray with you too. I want to give you a prayer that you can pray. Something like this, dear Lord Jesus, I am a Christian, but I want to draw closer. I can remember a time when I was closer. And I'm not satisfied with where I am spiritually, so draw me, God, and and just move me, God, that I might be powerfully linked driven by your word and empowered by your spirit to live out this Christian faith that you've called me to live. And I recommit my life to you, Jesus, right now. I recommit my life to you, Jesus, in your name. If that was your prayer, God heard your prayer. 